Let's bow together. Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity to praise you and to exalt your son Jesus. And Father, I thank you that we have an opportunity to be in your word. And I pray that you would use your word to work in us that which pleases you, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of your son Jesus, and we would uh, continue to be uh, uh, equipped uh, for the works of service, that we would uh, be those uh, by your grace and through faith pleasing to you. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you think of authority, what do you think of? Um, Certainly we understand, you know, governmental authorities, uh, federal, state, local uh, governments. uh, We understand that. uh, Law enforcement, uh, county uh, zoning commissions, right? We understand authority, don't we? Uh, we know that within those uh, agencies, there are people who have authority over us. Uh, if you don't think you have authority over you, just go 100 miles an hour on the freeway. You'll find out that there are some that have authority over you, and they will use that authority to keep you within the bounds of that authority that they have. And now there are, as we notice and understand, there are consequences in this life when we do not submit to authority. There are consequences. Uh, we can be arrested, uh, we could uh, get fined, whatever it might be, or a project might uh, be delayed or, or ended or whatever it might be. There are consequences when we do not submit to authority. Yet, how often do we think about the consequences of not submitting to the authority of God in our lives? Uh, we're going to see that the Lord Jesus has absolute authority over us in every area of our lives and we often can kind of play around with that and, and in a sense, uh, almost give our own selves, our own authority to do things apart from what the Lord Jesus would share through his word. But we're going to see that he has absolute authority over us. And within that absolute authority, he is a good, gracious, wonderful God. And it is not a burden to submit to his authority. It's actually a blessing. But I want to ask this question, well, who has absolute authority over you? Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and we've come to the last chapter of Nehemiah where Nehemiah is going to, uh, we're going to be transported about 12 years in the future from where we've been, and we're going to see that things have degraded in Israel. Things have degraded in the temple. It's degraded concerning the servants. It's degraded concerning their relationship to foreigners. It's degraded concerning their yoking with bad guys. Uh, and we're going to see it has a lot to do with the temple. We're going to see Nehemiah finds out that T- Tobiah is there, and he has to kick him out and throw his goods in the street. We're going to see a whole bunch of stuff. But he's going to uh, uh, get quite uh, concerned. He's going to he's going to uh, reprimand the people for their yoking with uh, uh, yoking with uh, uh, the foreigners, uh, foreign wives, and then the children not even speaking the language of is- Israel anymore. He's going to pluck their hair out. He's going to reprimand them. He's going to hit them. Uh, this is pretty serious. He's going to come with a righteous indignation and clean a house. I was going to teach that today. Uh, that was the name of my sermon, Nehemiah Cleans House. But it's going to be a couple sermons. And so I didn't want to short changes on the Word of God. I wanted. It's going to be a few sermons in the last portion. We're going to see that Nehemiah does clean house, but he is led by the living God. And he will say over and over again between each portion, remember me, oh my God, for good, for what I've done. And that is the cleaning of the house of the Lord from sin and wickedness. Now, that led me to think about another situation that we see that happened a few hundred years later. You see, things degraded again, um, and it degraded to the point where the Lord Jesus on the scenes came and needed to clean his house. And so I wanted to talk about that, and it has to do with who has authority over our lives. Because if we think we have authority, we can do whatever we want in church. We can do whatever we want with, our, with the temple of the Holy Spirit. We think we have authority. We can do what we want, but it is his house. We need to submit to the God who has authority, loving authority over us. So with that in mind, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And if you were with us when we went through Matthew, or if you were able to listen to it on the, on the radio broadcast, uh, you'll know that in the book of Matthew, King Jesus has been introduced. 
we see that he is the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord who has come to save his people from their sins. And he came to his own who were sitting in spiritual darkness. He called upon them to repent and believe in him, to believe the truth concerning him, to enter his kingdom through him, through repentance and faith. And we see in the book of Matthew that he affirmed uh, his deity and his humanity, being God and human flesh, through the miraculous, through the miraculous. We see that. And he brought forth his teaching, which was affirmed through that miraculous, the teaching of the kingdom. And then we saw the sinful rejection by this present uh, evil and adulterous generation uh, back at that time who rejected the Lord Jesus. They rejected him. Um, and we saw that they would prefer the stuff of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the food of Jesus, rather than Jesus himself and salvation. And we saw the hearts of the multitudes uh, turning away, in a sense, not from turning away from salvation, but not from Jesus. But Jesus then began to hide his truth from them because they had hardened their hearts. And so seeing they wouldn't see and hearing they wouldn't see uh, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And he began to minister mostly to his disciples, more clearly ministering to them. And then we see that he was focused towards his ultimate mission, which was to come and save that which was lost, to give his life a ransom, to give his life a ransom, to serve, not to be served, but to give his life a ransom. And now three years have passed, and we come to the last week of Jesus' life on earth, a turning point in the book of Matthew, and it is extremely important. And indeed, in all the Gospels, the four Gospels, uh, the last week of Jesus' life takes up one-third of those four Gospels. It's extremely important. And so at this point, we've come in the book of Matthew to this portion where the Lord Jesus has come down from Galilee through Perea, through Jericho, and he's approached Jerusalem for the final time uh, before he would be crucified. And it's here we find him in what we call his triumphal entry on that Sunday, coming in. Uh, and yet we saw that it wasn't a triumphal entry as of a conquering general or, or king. It was actually more of a of a of a of a, of a, of a an entry in which the Lord Jesus, we see in the book of Luke, is Luke is weeping over the people. The people are saying, Hosanna, son of David, uh, save us, son of David, save, the Lord saves her. We'll see that in a moment. Praise, praise salvation through the son of David. But the people, these same people within a week would be saying, crucify him. And so we have this not so triumphal entry because we would see the Jews would eventually, uh, reject him and he is weeping over jerusalem as he is entering as they are shouting rightfully hosanna because he is the king and so from that we see he uh would come and we see that they but they didn't accept him as who he was as who he was so then we have jesus now at his final destination in jerusalem and we have the account of this point his entrance into the temple and uh, he would make many visits during that week in his lifetime, the last week of his life on earth here, um, before he died and rose from the dead. But this is what I believe is the first one after the triumphal entry. So let's take a look at our passage, Matthew chapter 21. Let's start with verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Well, today I believe we're going to see the second cleansing of the temple by Jesus Christ. He did one in the beginning in John. It's recorded where he had a whip uh, and he cleansed the temple at the beginning of the book of John. Uh, that would be a little less than three years before this. And now here we have a very uh, 
interesting contrast here because he has just come into Jerusalem and he is uh, uh, sitting on a donkey, a gentle king, a humble king on a donkey, gentle and humble. We see that in that portion. And now we see he is a gentle king who is righteously indignant, righteously indignant, as we'll see. Does not appear to be acting in gentleness, uh, but according to authoritative force, which we'll see only Jesus has the right to such righteous indignation, as we will see. And so here we have uh, uh, a Jesus which is different than many of the Jesuses that people make up in their minds. Uh, they make up a false Jesus in their minds, a Jesus who is gentle, who tolerates everyone and everything. And yet this same false gentle Jesus uh, is intolerant of, 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 of when you say something about anyone else's sin, whatever it might be. Uh, that's not the Jesus of the scriptures. We're going to see we have a gentle Savior, but yet a Savior who is indignant towards sin, especially in relationship to his house, his house, house of prayer. So we have Jesus here, uh, who is actually the Jesus of the word, of, of the, of the word, the true one, the one who came, took on human flesh. Uh, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we know that the world is going to hate him. Jesus said that in John 15, the world is going to hate him and thus he's going to hate uh, his people. And so Matthew here now appropriately presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the one in charge and having authority over the religious leaders and all aspects of the temple, including uh, Israel itself. And we're going to see that and thus the nations, that he has authority so right now we're going to see today that this passage is about demonstration of divine authority. Now you might say, wait a second, I don't see that portion of authority in there. I didn't read the word authority in the passage today. Well, if you take a closer look, look down in Matthew 21, verse 23. Matthew 21, 23. And when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you and who gave you this authority? Clearly, the issue was about authority. Clearly, as we'll say. And we're going to see that indeed they were challenging him because he was challenging their hypocritical authority. He was challenging their hypocritical authority. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 11. Verse 17, excuse me. And he began to teach them and say, Mark 11:17, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? Notice this for all the nations. We'll see this later on. Uh, but you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this. They began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him. For the multitude was astonished at his teaching. And whenever evening came, they would go out of the, and whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. They were concerned about him. The multitudes were starting to turn to him. Their religious authority was being challenged, was being challenged. So this passage is about Jesus manifesting his authority. And I believe we're going to see it in three specific areas. Uh, one, that he has the authority to condemn sinful behavior, especially in his own house. He has the authority to do so. Secondly, he has the authority to compassionately heal. And third, he has the authority to be worshipped as God. Worshipped as God. And so then, let's take a look at our passage. Uh, chapter 12, uh, excuse me, chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now, before we begin, I need to address some contextual issues here. Uh, first of all, there's some issues about the order in which things are presented in the book of Matthew. I need to talk about that. It's not the same as we see in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus, after the triumphal entry, uh, enters, uh, uh, enters, the, enters the, t the temple for a moment and then goes back to Bethany. And then the next day, he curses the fig tree and enters the temple again. Okay, look at Mark chapter 11 again. Let's take a look at verse 11. Mark 11:11. 11, 11. And he entered Jerusalem 
and came into the temple. And after looking all around, he departed for Bethany. We're going to see, he first of all came in, looked at the temple, looked around, then he departed. This isn't when he threw everything out. And then he cursed the fig tree, and then he came into the temple. Now, in the book of Matthew, we have the fig tree after him cleansing the temple. And it's my thought, uh, and many others' thoughts, that Matthew is putting it in this order to point to the messiahship, the kingship, and the authority of Jesus in the book of Matthew. That's why he has it ordered that way. Some portions are ordered in order, like we see in the book of Mark here. It is ordered this way to focus us on uh, his uh, authority and his, uh, his deity, as we'll see. So then we have this portion here. So we have this, uh, this portion where he enters the temple, and there's all these people buying and selling. Now, we need to understand something about the temple. This temple was what we call, or what was called, Herod's Temple. It was initially rebuilt when the Jews came back from Babylon, and then it was beautified and modified by Herod. Okay? And this temple was a beautiful, beautiful temple complex. And in the middle of this temple complex, there were two rooms. There was the holy place where only the priest could go, and then there was the most holy place where the high priest would go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then around this, there were these concentric circles uh, and, and within those, around those magnif- magnificent buildings, and they were called courts, court areas, okay? And within that, we see there was the court that only the Jewish men could go, there was the court then of the women, which was the, was the furthest away which Jewish women could go. And then there was the outer court, which was called the court of the Gentiles. And this was a really large area, approximately 300 yards by 250 yards. That's the court of the Gentiles. That was the outer area, okay? So with that in mind, uh, that is where these events take place in that court of the Gentiles, So then, we have here, uh, notice first of all, Jesus authoritatively reproves the religious hypocrites who were using his temple for gain. Look at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. So here, we have Jesus entering the temple and what does he do? He casts out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Now, during the time of the feasts, we have this Passover week. There would be many people coming to Jerusalem and they would offer sacrificial animals according to the law. And yet religious uh, leaders there basically took the temple area and turned it into turned it into a money-making venture, a money-making venture. Ultimately, Jesus says it would be a den of thieves, a place where thieves hang out. It's, it's a robber's den. It's a robber's den. These religious leaders turned the temple into, as Jesus say, a house of merchandise, John chapter 2, verse 16. They had taken this court of the Gentiles, which they considered unclean to start with, um, and they took it into a place, made it a place of merchandise, where animals would be sold at exorbitant rates, money would be exchanged for the temple currency you needed to buy the animals with. They would raise the price of the animals ten times. You had to use their currency. It was a it was a basically a a, a money making venture, and uh, it was all very evil, as we'll see. It, and it was interesting that this area was actually historically called the Bazaar of Annas. Annas was the high priest. It was a bazaar. It was where they made money. And so the Lord Jesus uh, comes in here, and they're buying and selling, money changing going on. And he, what does he do first? He casts out all who were buying and selling in the temple. He cast them out. He cast them out. Uh, this would have taken some time, by the way. There was probably a 1,000 people in that area. And the Lord Jesus comes and throws out everyone who is buying and selling, every single one. This would have taken some time. We're have taken time. It's not like one little table. You know, it was a huge bazaar with all kinds of buying and selling going on, buying and selling. 
And I find it quite amazing that this happened evidently without a fight or any resistance at all. Any resistance at all. I find it very revealing. We know from Scripture that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And although he humbled himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, there were a couple times in Scripture where we see him manifesting his divine authority. Uh, remember what happened on the night he was betrayed. Turn to John 19. John 19. Actually, John 18. John 18. John 18, verse 2. Now Judas, who was also betraying him, knew the place for where Jesus... for. Knew, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman co- cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth, and he said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to him, I am he. And Judas also was was betraying him, was standing with them. When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Uh, This is God in human flesh. There was a divine reality there. They fell to the ground when he said, I am he. And here we have God in human flesh clearing out, uh, tossing out, casting out, by the way, casting out, all who were buying and selling in the temple. And so he casted all our buying and selling in the temple, and notice he overturned the tables of the money changers. Those are the guys you had to get the, the temple currency. You couldn't just use your own money. You had to get the exorbitant rates to do that. By the way, that's what happens at the airport, too, if you want to exchange your money. But, uh, you know. but here, these guys are the exorbitant rates, money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. This is, again, a temple money-making venture, the bazaar of Annas, the high priest. So he overturned the chairs of those who were sitting in the tables of the money chain, the seats of those who were selling doves, doing their corrupt business. You know, the reality is, on a side note, um, we need to be careful. Sometimes we can be righteously indignant towards sin in this world. And we need to be careful. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, this is the Lord Jesus doing this. Perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly uh, has the perfect authority to do so. To do so. So then Jesus is casting out these corrupt merchants. And notice we have an interesting note in the Gospel of Mark which gives some additional information. Mark 11 again. Mark 11:15. And they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple, began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. Kind of interesting, he's casting out everybody, overturning the tables, and here he is not allowing anyone to carry goods through the temple. Wouldn't permit it. That's those who would uh, take a shortcut, evidently, through the temple area to journey through the city. They got their stuff. They got their goods. They're cutting through, whatever it might be. He wouldn't let anyone do that. He wouldn't let anyone go through. This was, as he will say, a house of prayer, not a thoroughfare. You know, And we can so demean the reality of what God uh, shares concerning his holiness and his certainly his temple back in the Old Testament. But we are the temple of the living God, by the way. We'll see that in a moment. And so here, Jesus is in full control, and he has come to his temple, and he's taken full authority. And folks, God in human flesh has the authority to do so, and there is no direct challenge to him doing this at all. Thousands of people there, no direct challenge as of yet. We'll see the the leaders come and challenge him in a moment. So notice, uh, this is what happens. And Jesus overturned the temple. Excuse me, back in our passage, 21.12. And Jesus entered the temple, cast out all who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, notice he's going to vindicate what he's doing through the truth, his word. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. He's telling them clearly what's going on. He's confronting their sinfulness. And here we have the Lord Jesus. He is validating his righteous indignation and actions with his word. And this comes from Isaiah 56, 7, 
which I read earlier, and Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. Now, Matthew doesn't quote this fully, uh, but Mark does. Mark will say, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For all the nations. And that's important. That's important. You see, these Jews had turned this into a robber's den, a place where thieves congregate, a den of robbers where the thieves hang out, hiding behind the facade of religion, by the way. There's a lot of those out there right now, a lot of those out there right now. You just watch TBN. It's a big robber's den, TBN robber's den. You could add that to it. Now, the reality is what we see, unfortunately, is just as bad. It's about money. It's about money and money for faith, money for whatever it might be, very evil. And so the same thing was going on here, nothing new under the sun. So he says here, and he said that it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. We saw in uh, Isaiah chapter 56 that in that context, the Lord was saying, hey, those who were excluded before, those who are foreigners who have joined themselves to me, those who were eunuchs, they were excluded from this. Now they're going to be accepted because they are following the Lord. They want to obey the Lord right? It's going to be a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the nations. That's where that quote comes from. And then in Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, we see this idea of the robber's den. Now in Jeremiah, this portion is where the Lord is condemning the Jews and their wickedness before they go to exile. And Jesus is saying, basically, you've made it the same thing. It's the same thing it was. And guess what? It was turning that way back in Nehemiah after 12 years. All of a sudden, you got guys in there in the temple doing things that didn't have anything to do with the temple. You know, not good, not good. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Jeremiah 7, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there, there this word. That means that's temple, right? Uh, say, and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, and who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds... If you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, not walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I give you, that I give to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk with other, walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, "We are delivered," that you may do all these, that you may do all these abominations? Has this house, which has been called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. These people were corrupt. They were in their own sin, and they were coming and doing everything they want, and then coming to the place and offering sacrifices. The same thing was going on here with these people. They had made God's house a robber's den, a robber's den. You are making it a place where thieves hang out. That's what you're doing. Instead, it should be a place where the nations pray, not a place where people are robbed. Wow, what a difference. And so thus, Jesus has thrown out the robbers, and he would not let anyone even flippantly cut through the temple. And notice, uh, nobody, as I mentioned, nobody physically challenges him or stops him. He is in complete control, complete authority. authority. And you might remember what uh, the Lord shared with Pilate about his authority. You might remember that. Uh, I'll read this in John 19, verse 9. And he entered into the Praetorian again, and Jesus said, and he said to Jesus, that's Pilate, uh, where, are you, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, 
you would have no authority over me unless it has been given you from above. The Lord Jesus Christ understood his authority. He understood that everyone underneath was given authority by above. Um, He had full authority here, and we see that. So why is this so important? Because Jesus Christ has authority over everything, which means he has authority over us. He has authority over us. You know, in the end of Matthew, he tells his disciples uh, when he is uh, about to depart, to ascend, he, he says, uh, he says, um, he says, go and therefore make disciples of all the nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in, uh, well, actually, let me go back here. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go for, therefore and do and make disciples baptizing and teaching, right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him is all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Head over all rule and authority. Indeed, we see that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And this is uh, Peter uh, sharing with... uh, the Gentile, Cornelius, sharing the gospel as the gospel is moving to Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. This is Acts 10, 34, not 35. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace, peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He has authority over everything, right? Romans chapter 10. Let's turn to Romans 10. He's Lord of all. Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? Romans 10, 8. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's the Lord. And we certainly see this in Philippians chapter 2, because of his uh, being obedient to the point of death, having taken on the form of a bondservant, taken on human flesh, therefore God highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, the name that Jesus possesses, that's really the way it's written there, uh, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on heaven, on, on the earth, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, Philippians chapter 2. The reality is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And to be saved, you've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize it. He's Lord. You've got to confess him as Lord. You've got to acknowledge he's the Lord. He's the Lord of all. He's God who took on human flesh, who died for your sins. As you have received Christ, we received him as Lord, Jesus Christ as the Lord, right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord... So walk in him. You received him as the Lord. Now walk in him. He's your Lord now. But the difference is he's not a bad Lord. He's not a Lord like your sin lorded over you and like your sin uh, bound you. He's a good Lord. He's a gracious Lord. He's a kind Lord. He's a wonderful Lord, as we will say. So then, how is this uh, passage relevant? Uh, We have the humble Jesus who goes into the temple, takes full control. How is that relevant to us? Well, very clearly, Jesus Christ is Lord. He has the absolute right to confront sin, and he did so with his word, by the way, and his actions, and he did so. He has the absolute right to address any area of our lives. We want to address everyone else's lives. Let Jesus address it. Okay, He does it through his word, right? He is the Lord of all. He has the right to tell us how to interact with our government, to tell us to pay taxes, to tell us to work. He is Lord of all. He has the right to tell us how to interact with our friends and family. He is Lord of all. He has every right to address every area in our lives. He is Lord 
of all. He has the right to address which church we go to. He is the Lord of all. He has the right to address every decision in our lives. He has the right to confront sin in our lives. He is the Lord of all. And so his word gives us his will and his desire, and he has the right. He is the Lord of all. And folks, if you reject his authority, then he will judge you for your sin. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And someday he will make it clear that he is your Lord, even if you reject him. And he'll make that clear as he says, depart from me, you who practice laws. He has the power to ascend both body and soul to hell. He has the authority to do so, to do so. So then, if you're his, God says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And if you're his, you're going to listen to his authority. He says, what do you want you to do? He is Lord. Listen to him. Bow yourself to his authority. Now we fail. We mess up. But confess and get back on track. As you have received Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He has authority. We so often think about our lives as though we have the authority to figure everything out. We go through our lives without consulting the Lord, without thinking of his word, applying it to the situations in our lives. We need to apply his truth and allow him to be our Lord in a practical sense. Folks, when someone teaches the word of God, it is authoritative. We don't have an option whether we are to obey it or not. Now, we're not perfect. We do fail, but we should desire to obey. We should desire to do so. We will fail, but we confess and we want to get back on track and obey the Lord. So who has authority over you? Does God's word have authority over you in your life? Is that your authority for life and godliness? What God says by his spirit through his power? The reality is we need to believe that he is authoritative over us, believe that truth, which he is, and believe that he reveals that authority through his word. And so I ask you, by what authority do you do what you do? By what authority do you do what you do? Do you make your decisions? Uh, That's why we want to preach God's word. Because uh, thus we can authoritatively hear the truth of his word. We can understand it's from him. Titus chapter 2, verse 15, uh, Paul tells Titus, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Not my opinion, but the word of God. The word of God. So then, who has the authority in your life? Who has the authority in your life? Jesus has the authority to condemn sinful behavior. And yet that same wonderful God who condemns sin also came and died for your sins. He gives you the way out too. Same wonderful God. And notice, although he has the authority to condemn sinful behavior, notice in our passage, he shows his divine authority to compassionately heal those who come to him. Back to our passage in Matthew. So he's kicked them all out. He said, this is why I'm doing it. You made it just like it was before the exile. It's a robber's den. You come here, you worship, but you're actually totally corrupt. It's it's a den of thieves. It's It's a terrible place should be a house of prayer for the nations. You've made it exactly the opposite. He's kicked them out. And then notice in verse 14, this is right after he's kicked everybody out. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Isn't this great? This is great. Uh, this is something that could easily be overlooked. The blind and the lame came in the temple and he healed them. This is amazing because it's not just miraculous Um, But if you understood the religious atmosphere of this time, they wouldn't let the blind and the lame in there in that court because they were considered sinful by the Jewish standard. Remember in John chapter 9, the guy that was born blind? John chapter 9, I'll read this. And he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind? Basically saying that was the mindset. If someone was blind, this is a sinner. Was it his parents? What did he did he sin? And so here, there was the mindset of the Jews. And even the Jews show that later on in John chapter nine, they show that. And here, Jesus has kicked out all the hypocrites, and the blind and the lame are coming in, and he's healing them. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's actually, as we'll see in a moment, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You see, Jesus is a compassionate God, although he is fierce with sin. We need to know what he believes about sin, what, his, what the truth is about sin, not what he believes about, what the truth is about sin. And we need to listen 
because it's very serious. But when we understand it, then we understand the compassion and grace and mercy of our God who died for our sins. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. Jesus would say earlier in the book of Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my load is light. Yes, Jesus is fierce with sin, and if you reject him, you will find that out. He will judge you, and you will experience the second death. But this same Jesus, who has been appointed the judge of the living and the dead, also died for your sins, and he's compassionate. If you come to him with a humble heart, acknowledging your sin, desiring forgiveness, spiritual healing, he'll heal you. He'll heal you. He's a gracious God. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we have this wonderful, wonderful truth. Now notice, at this point, uh, he not only has the the authority to condemn sinful behavior and the authority to compassionately heal. Notice what happens. He also defends his authority to be worshipped. Look back in verse 14 again. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw, notice this, the wonderful things that he had done. Isn't that, that's the truth of what he'd done, right? The wonderful things that he had done. And the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna, son of David, they became indignant. That's furious. They became furious and said to him, do you not, do you, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. <laughs> Isn't that great? Have you never heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself? You've got those who were merchandising a relationship with God. They were extorting the people. They've been kicked out. Uh, uh, those who took things lightly and just would cut, make a shortcut through the temple, kicked out. Not allowed to do so. And then you have those truly in need who were prevented from coming in through all this extortion and wickedness coming in and being healed and being healed. And when the chief priest saw the wonderful things that he had done, wonderful things, kicking out the bad guys, clearing out that wickedness, healing those who truly believed in this context that they would be healed by him, coming in to be healed by him, If you believe he'll heal you from your sins because he died on the cross for you, he will heal you. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. So now we've got these bad guys, chief priests and the scribes. So the chief priest, that was a term used to describe the high priest, the ex-high priest, and possibly the temple uh, people, some of those guys, and even the 70, the Sanhedrin. These were the top religious guys. They were like the, the guys that ran the country. It was a theocracy. They ran it. They were the chief priests, okay? And then there were the scribes of the people. These were not priests, uh, but they weren't from other tribes. However, they were learned in the law. They were the theologians. They were the legal beagles. They were lawyers in the scriptures. And so you have these leaders here. It's the leadership of the day. The leadership of the day hears it. And remember what Jesus said earlier. Look back in chapter 20, what he said about this leadership, chapter 20. Verse 18, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. So guess what? These religious leaders, they are upset. They're indignant. The word speaks of extreme vexation or displeasure extreme vexation or displeasure. They're upset. And what are they so upset about? And I love what Matthew says here. We already saw it. They're upset at the wonderful things that he's done. (laughs) The wonderful things that he's done. And that children were crying out the temple saying, Hosanna, son of David, they became indignant. Jesus' righteous indignation, casting out those buying and selling, the money changers, uh, uh, those who would just walk through the temple. He was teaching, we see other in the temple, doing what was right. He was healing the blind and the lame. And also here, he was receiving worship from children. Receiving worship. 
Here, the children were crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, and the, the, these bad guys became indignant. The term children, paides, speaks of a child, a boy or a girl child, uh, under 13, could be as low as, you know, under 2. Uh, when Herod killed all the paides, they were 2 and under. You know, it could be young children, could be just children. You know, if you look at a child, you know what a child is, right? There are teenagers and adults, well, they're all adults, basically, or there's children, right? And so here in the temple, they are saying, Hosanna, son of David. The term son of David speaks of the Messiah who would come in human flesh in the line of David, the king who would reign forever and ever and ever on the, on the throne of David, son of David. And the term Hosanna means save now. Save now, son of David. And that's what they were saying when he was coming in, but he was weeping over it because you can actually have people who actually are involved in the worship of God who don't know the Lord. You know, Jesus actually said when they were crying out, don't stop them. If we do, the stones will, will cry out, right? Now, they were involved, but they didn't mean it. They went, Hosanna, son of David, that he would take care of their political problems. But here, they are worshiping the Lord, these children. They are worshiping the Lord, Hosanna, son of David, and the chief priests get hot. They get hot. They get hot. And they say to him, do you not hear what these are saying? And I love this, his answer. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. Yes. And then he says to them, have you never read? This is a, a, a rebuke, a strong rebuke. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself? Have you never read this? Don't you know the word of God? Don't you know the word of God? Haven't you read this? comes from Psalm 8, by the way. Have you never read the word of God, which reveals that God in his midst is going to receive praise from children? And these kids are saying, save now, son of David. Save now, son of David. They're praising him in the temple. In the temple. Wonderful. Wonderful. You see, Jesus being God is worthy of praise. Jesus being God is worthy of worship. And he is in charge. And he's saying, nope, I'm not going to shut him up. I hear it. You're not in charge here. I am. Haven't you read the word of God? They're going to praise me, basically. And the kids were praising him. Right? So then we have Jesus showing his authority as God to be worshipped. And Jesus has authority. And so our passage, it says, And he left them and went out, verse 17, of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And went to Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus, I believe, probably, hanging out with them. And so we have an amazing day. Jesus has come to his temple, his house, and they, there were those merchandising a relationship with God, making a buck off it. They were merchandising it. They were changing money. They were thieves, religious thieves, using it. And it was all under the guise of this structure, this organization of the, of the chief priests and the scribes. It was their enterprise, the bazaar of Annas. And they'd been kicked out. And even those who would even walk through were prevented from doing so, just taking it lightly, taking it lightly, taking the, the, his house lightly. Not a good thing, Right. And then those who truly in need of healing came, Jesus healed them. And then there was worship of him. So who has authority over you on a practical basis? When you choose to rebel against the Lord, when you choose to sin, you're taking over his authority, by the way. You're saying, I have authority to do what I want. When God says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, when you decide to be anxious, now we get tempted and we fall, but we should turn. The word should work in our hearts. We should cast our cares on the Lord. When we decide to hold on to that and go that way, we are rebelling against the Lord. When we do not allow our even our irritation to be taken care of by the Lord before we go to bed, do not let the sun go down in your anger, then we are in authority, and we will suffer the consequences of rebelling against his authority. Now, we're believers. God will spank us. And we need to, but we need to see and understand when at those times we are making decisions under our own authority and not the authority of the Lord. Because the Lord says, don't do it. Don't do it. And so we need to remember that. So who has authority over you? 
He has authority to confront sinful behavior. He has authority to mercifully heal. He has authority to be worshipped and praised. So then, who has authority over you? If you don't know the Lord, if you have rejected his call for salvation, you will find out that he has authority over you. If you're a faker and you pretend to know him like these bad people here, someday he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. He has authority to uh, kill both body and soul in hell. He has authority to do so. He has authority, so fear God. Let me read this. Actually, Luke chapter 12, verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear the Lord right now. If you're in your sins, you're in a terrible state. But God, the same God who will judge you and cast you in hell, also died for your sins. And if you go to him as a, as a sinner in need of healing from your sins, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. And you will experience his compassion and his mercy and the wonderful things he does for us. And so then we see that in the context of his son. What about us, uh, those who are believers? Have we forgotten he has authority over all? He has authority to tell us how to relate to our spouses. He has authority to tell us what our attitude should be at. He has authority to address those things, and we need to confess when we fail. We need to allow his word to, to change our hearts, that we would willingly and voluntarily align ourselves with his desires, and that's where there's joy and peace. Uh, in the context of a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for revealing who has complete authority. It is your son, Jesus Christ. You've given all authority to him on heaven and on earth. And Lord, I thank you that, uh, that his authority is good. It's kind, it's merciful, it's gracious. Lord, and I pray for anyone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, who's still in their sins, that they would reckon that he will cast them into hell. But he will save them also if they're willing to come and acknowledge their sin. I pray they would do so now. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the grave. Save me, Lord Jesus. And Father, for those of us who believe in your son Jesus, Lord, we slip in and out of uh, acknowledging your authority over us, your good authority, your kind authority, your gracious authority. Help us to see things from your perspective, to recognize when we are rebelling, to confess that quickly, Lord God, so that we would joyously obey you, follow you, and worship you. So we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it is in his name we pray. Amen.